Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we wrap up the week with lots of news. The U.S.-China trade war really underway now, and we'll be talking a lot about that on the program today. And, of course, the big news yesterday, EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt resigning. Reaction to that as well. Coming up on our show today, we'll have the Director of International Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. We'll talk with the Senior Vice President of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and the Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. Lots to talk about. And just back from China is our good friend Spencer Chase from AgriPulse. Spencer, thanks for joining us. Always happy to join you, Mike. Wow. You come back from China and walk right into a lot of news, not only about China, but with the EPA. So uh, you had to hit the ground running when you got back. Yeah, I was uh, I was back in the office yesterday after about a 36-hour travel day from uh, from Hong Kong to Seattle and then over to Washington. So it was uh, the, the my writing yesterday was a true testament to the power of caffeinated beverages. I'll just say that <laughs> you were part of a group with the National Association of Farm Broadcasting that spent a couple of weeks in China. Tell us a little bit about your trip. Well, it was it was a pretty comprehensive trip, and we took a, a look at a lot of different sectors of of the Chinese agriculture uh, industry, a lot of the, the processing side, a lot of the consumer side. And uh, one, one thing that really struck me is just, just the size and scope of the, of the country of China. You hear a lot about how it's uh, this massive country with a lot of uh, agricultural goods on hand, but it really drives it home when you see that, that this is a country of about 1.4 billion people. They've got a lot of mouths to feed, and they've got a lot of, uh, lot of capacity to build. Uh, there was one uh, tour guide that told us that they can build a 30-story building in about 70 days over there. And uh, everywhere we looked, there was a new road being installed, a new bridge being built, uh, a new rail line under construction. Uh, there, there's a lot of investment in agriculture in that country. What were you hearing there about the trade war? A lot of what we heard about the trade war uh, came from comments made by uh, Ambassador Terry Brandset, who we had the opportunity to meet with very, very early on in our trip. And, and so this was obviously, uh, obviously before the tariffs, uh, the new round of tariffs took effect. And he uh, he's he was optimistic that uh, the country would uh, would be willing to uh, work out some kind of a deal to avoid a, a full blown trade war. Uh, but he also noted that the United States is not going to be willing to accept uh, just any deal in order to back down from its point. Uh, there's also a lot of concern from U.S. officials uh, over there that uh, even if this doesn't turn into a full blown a full blown tariff war, or or even if it does, uh, there's a lot of things other than just applying tariffs that the Chinese government could do. Uh, things like non-tariff barriers, things like uh, scientific issues. Uh, I could write a book about the uh, issues that we had getting our journalist visas there. It would be speculation on my part to say that that's connection to the, connected to the tariffs, but it's just a demonstration of the fact that there's a lot of things the government can do that maybe wouldn't necessarily uh, be, a, be an economic tariff but would be a non-tariff barrier. So what uh, was the most impressive thing you saw while in China? Uh, the most impressive thing, uh, I, I guess, would probably be uh, just the the culture of food that we saw over there was very interesting. Uh, there was one morning we started off by going to uh, a wet market, which was basically uh, a farmers market that sold uh, you know fruits, vegetables, but also really specialized in meats. And there was uh, any kind of meat under the sun you could have gotten there. We saw. 
beef, pork, but we also saw fish, uh, frogs. There was a bucket full of snakes that I avoided like the plague. And uh, there was all kinds of things available there. And then later in that morning, we went to a high-end grocery store, and it was very interesting to to walk by. And this grocery store was in a mall, and you had to walk by uh, very high-end brands like uh, Prada and Chanel and Gucci and everything else to get to this grocery store where they were selling uh, U.S. beef, U.S. pork, but also right next to it was the Australian product as well. Uh, So customers, uh, food consumers in China, are very, very interested in buying the imported product because they do see the benefits of uh, products that are being able to uh, be produced in other countries. You didn't have some snake for breakfast? Uh, We did not have steak for breakfast, but uh, I will tell you the breakfast spreads there were uh, were pretty impressive. Uh, There was uh, we were advised before uh, before the trip that breakfast was going to be an opportunity to uh, uh, fill up on calories that were familiar, (laughs) and so uh, many people, myself included, did uh, take uh, take that opportunity. But uh, we were also served while we were there some U.S. beef. Uh, They had uh, cooked up some tri-tip and uh, uh, grilled it up with uh, with some okra, and it was very very good. Uh, but also a lot of uh, a lot of Chinese dishes like uh, chicken, duck, uh, a variety of like fish and prawns and shrimp. So, pretty uh, pretty pretty wide ranging uh, array of food items there for us. But you did not have snake. I did not. I did not. No. <laughs> I don't blame you. We're talking <laughs> with uh, Spencer Chase from AgriPulse, just back from uh, China. Well, of course, the big news here yesterday, uh, Spencer, and I know you're going to be all over this, and that's the resignation of Scott Pruitt as EPA administrator. And while the uh, biofuels industry is uh, certainly uh, happy, I think, with this uh, with this news, uh, I think for agriculture overall, um, kind of have to wait and see. There were some things going on with WOTUS that uh, many in agriculture were happy about. We'll wait to see what happens there. And will Andrew Wheeler have any different approach on the RF RFS uh, than Scott Pruitt did? We have to wait and see, don't we? Right. The the things on things like Waters of the United States, the Clean Power Plan, and some other EPA issues where uh, where the EPA was making some work there uh, really shouldn't expect much in terms of change. As, as one person put it uh, toward to me yesterday, uh, I don't think Scott Pruitt was sitting at his desk working 12 hours a day on WOTUS. Uh, there were other people at the EPA that were doing that, and uh, they were you know pretty far down on the food chain at the uh, at the agency, but. Uh, from in, in, in terms of uh, administrative regulatory policy, uh, would very much so expect Andrew Wheeler to take a, a very similar approach. Uh, but uh, keep in mind that he was uh, on a he was a staffer uh, for the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, uh, played a role uh, during the drafting of the Renewable Fuel Standard, and so the approach that he will take obviously remains to be seen. Uh, there was a lot of talk that some of the things that the EPA was doing uh, was. A, a, Excuse me. In particular, relation to the RFS was uh, was Scott Pruitt policy rather than uh, Trump administration or EPA policy. Now is when we actually get to see if that's the case. Because if the EPA continues to uh, do the thing, same things in regards to uh, waiving uh, waiving obligations or maybe setting uh, RVOs at levels that we're not uh, happy or that the industry was not happy about, we'll have to see if that's what happens. Because if that's what happens, then it's administration policy. But if things change then we, uh, we can know that it was a Scott Pruitt policy. And there are some connections in Andrew Wheeler's background that maybe make you wonder uh, if he's going to be as big a champion for renewable fuels as some hope he will be, uh, some connections there with the oil industry. Well, he did work as an energy lobbyist after his time on Capitol Hill, 
But as uh, one uh, one energy sector spokesman uh, pointed out to me, uh, he st- he spent more time on Capitol Hill than he did as a, as an energy lobbyist, and uh, also he is very familiar with the renewable fuel standard. Was uh, was uh, was familiar with the drafting of the policy and was familiar with uh, the implementation of the policy. He's worked both on Capitol Hill uh, for the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, as I mentioned, but he also spent time uh, during the, the Bush One administration, as we as we refer to it here in Washington, working for uh, the EPA as a career staffer. And so he's very familiar with a lot of the levers that are going to need to be pulled in terms of regulatory policy, in terms of renewable fuels policy. But also, he's—I I would say—he's a little bit, a uh, little bit wonkier. Uh, he's, you know, he's a lot more familiar with the the actual policy that is going to be implemented at the EPA. Whereas Scott Pruitt was more familiar with the politics behind the effects of some of those policies. Well, we'll see what happens. And as you said, it'll give us more of an insight into what uh, the administration wants done with the RFS. Thanks a lot, uh, Spencer. Glad that you're back safe and glad you had a good trip. Thanks for being with us. Yep, appreciate it, Mike. Spencer Chase with AgriPulse Communications. Up next, Maria Ziba, Director of International Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council on Adams on Agriculture. On Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. A lot can happen in six seconds. A rodeo ride, a dramatic basketball win, and the world record holder can solve a Rubik's Cube. Six seconds is how long it takes for an 18-wheeler traveling at a safe speed to come to a complete stop. And in those six seconds, that truck will travel the length of two football fields. So please, give them room. Never cut in front of a large truck for any reason. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heartburn, mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable 
adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, with the start of the latest round of tariffs and retaliation by China, some say it's now officially a trade war, but for the U.S. pork industry, this has been going on for some time. Let's talk about it with Maria Ziba, Director of International Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Maria, thank you for joining us. This is just the the latest round to hit the U.S. pork industry, right? That's correct. Thank you again for having me on. Um, you know, this is just another round of retaliatory tariffs against the U.S. pork industry. We've already faced a 25% duty from the Chinese um, that started back in uh, April. Now this is the second round, and uh, things just got a lot worse for our producers. What has the impact been so far? You know, China is a big market for us. Uh, last year, we exported $1.1 billion. Um, if you add up the 25% duty from before, plus now this other 25% duty, plus the, the duty that we already face, or the taxes that we already face for our exports, we're looking at more than 60% tariff or tax on our product. It essentially makes it really difficult for us to compete in the, in the market or impossible. Um, it's it's um, it's a hard day for our producers. Up till now, have or have we still been selling into that market? And what do you see now with this latest round? Will it shut it off or just uh, curtail it even more? How would you describe what we're probably going to see? Well, there's a few things that are happening um, in the Chinese market. Obviously, they're with the 25% duty that we faced in April, uh, it made things difficult. It made things a little bit uh, harder for our our product to get in because of the extra tax that we faced. Um, with this, I think it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be a lot more difficult. It's going to be harder to see exactly what the numbers are. Um, there is a two-month lag in the data. So in two months from now, we'll definitely see the entire impact. But they have record production in China for pork um, production. And now that we have over 60% tariffs, it's going to be very difficult for any buyer in in China to say, okay, I'm I'm willing to pay the 60% duty because it's U.S. pork. So it's, it's complicated. Who steps in then? Does the EU get a further foothold into China? Most likely, uh, the EU will be benefiting from this. They are not. They don't have this twenty-five, essentially fifty percent tariff on their product. Um, the Brazilians will probably step up. Um, the Chileans, uh, just lot, between Latin America and the EU, that's that's who we're going to see 
uh, went out of this and the Canadians. What do you hear from the administration as when you talk to folks there and, and express your concerns to them? Obviously, they're very frustrated um, about this this, this tit for tat. Um, the Chinese have been bad actors. Um, there's no denying that on a number of issues on intellectual property, and, and the administration is trying to address it. It just um, it just so happens that we have to be at the uh, tip of the spear and, and on, on those retaliatory lists because our, our producers um, are so effective in, um, in their production, essentially. And a lot of times we end up on these lists because they want to protect their, their domestic industries or for geopolitical issues. Uh, but the administration is very cognizant, and we keep talking to them, and, and um, we're hopeful that we can get off of one of these many lists that we're on. If a resolution is not reached, and could we be shut out of the Chinese market completely for U.S. pork? It, it could well possibly be that situation. Um, it's going to be time will tell. We'll be able to see how competitive we can remain, but if we're paying a 60% duty or a 60% tax on a product while our biggest competitors um, don't have that tax put onto them, uh, it's, it's quite possible that everyone's going to, to switch to a, to a different um, country to supply their pork. Document Maria Ziba, Director of International Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Maria, what's the latest with Mexico? Mexico is another tricky country. Um, of course, they just ratcheted up their tariffs on July 5th, uh, yesterday. Um, we are now facing a 20% duty into that market. It had been um, 10% for about a month. Now it's 20%. The situation just got more um, complicated for, for our producers and uh, our exports into Mexico. Mexico is such a big market for us. Um, they import 70% of the hams. It's, I think that's where we're going to see a lot of the issues with our ham market and where uh, where we're able to sell it if we're not able to sell it in, in Mexico. Are there other markets that we can grow into to pick up the slack if, if we're losing China and a, a big chunk of Mexico, that market? Are there others that we're growing that uh, can help? We have been working tirelessly for a number of years to get additional market access or market access into specific countries. Thailand comes to mind where we've been really pushing on um, the administration. The issue becomes that opening markets takes a really long time and negotiating new free trade agreements uh, takes a very long years. So it's, um, at this point, we're going to try to assess the situation and see where we can export our product, um, hams, variety meats, and such. And we, we're going to keep continuing to knock on all those doors to get our products in. There's even been some talk the administration wants to take another look at the Colombia Free Trade Agreement. You know, 
Colombia has been a real big success story for the U.S. pork producers. Um, we have partnered with the domestic Colombian pork producers. It's really the the model that we used in Colombia. We hope to um, duplicate elsewhere. We've been able to grow the pork consumption in Colombia by partnering with the Colombian pork producers. Um, we have a really good deal there. We're really well liked there. So we hope that any change in the Colombian free trade agreement uh, really doesn't have an impact on U.S. pork. That, uh, that may be wishful thinking based on what we've seen with these other markets. You know, it's, it's the, the, the times that we live in right now. We have to be prepared for everything. Um, but, you know, with Colombia, we have a good success story. So do other um, agricultural uh, commodities and um, other U.S. sectors of the economy. We'll see. Um, I haven't seen anything. No negotiations have started. So everything is speculation at this point. Maria, was there any pork like on ships on the on its way to uh, to China that uh, didn't get there in time before all this hit? Or uh, what do you know about the uh, where we're at as far as what was moving to China? Well, this, this just went into effect tonight um, at midnight. It's really hard to, to know exactly if there were any um, shipments that have been impacted, but we did know that this was coming. So I'm guessing that there was some planning that had been done um, from, from a few weeks back. I, I don't have a good answer for you other than I'm sure that people have already were planning for this to, to take effect, um, and hopefully they, they planned far enough ahead. So what's the next step for the National Pork Producers Council? Well, we talked a little bit about how we're working to increase um, our exports to other countries, but we definitely need to continue to press the administration to negotiate free trade agreements um, and to negotiate with other countries. But we also need to get off of this retaliation list. So the administration, we're working really closely with them to see if what we can we can do to mitigate some of these um, issues and concerns for our producers. All right, Maria, thank you very much. Hopefully we'll have better news to talk about next time. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for your time. Maria Ziba, Director of International Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council, really getting hit hard with this trade war with China, a second round of tariffs and retaliation hitting them. Well, it it impacts more than agriculture. We're all going to be affected by this. We're going to talk about that next with Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. That's coming up next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. All right, crew, let's get her done. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number. 
alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. It's time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. The U.S. and China hiking tariffs Friday on billions of dollars of each other's goods. Washington imposing 25% duties on $34 billion worth of imports from China. China accusing the U.S. of launching the largest trade war in economic history. The official China Daily newspaper accusing the Trump administration of behaving like a gang of hoodlums. China canceled purchases of 366,000 metric tons of U.S. soybeans for 2017-18. That according to USDA's weekly export sales data for last week. Those cancellations coming ahead of China and U.S. enacting tariffs on billions of dollars worth of goods. Beijing is retaliating with tariffs on $34 billion worth of American goods aimed at farm products, cars, and crude oil. We are trending Higher on this Friday in the grain and oil seed sector for corn and soybeans. Wheat futures flat to lower. For December corn, the 10-day moving average is acting as resistance. An intraday bounce yesterday failing 368 and a quarter, the 10-day moving average. New crop November soybeans closing in on potential psychological support at 850. The 10-day moving average at 884. An hour into Friday's trading session, November soybeans hovering around 870 a bushel. Cattle futures in a mix. Live cattle trending a dime to 60 cents higher. Feeder cattle treading water as we wait for cash cattle activity in the south. Bids expected to be renewed on a live basis, 108 to 110. Lean hog futures trending 22 to a dollar 65 lower. The Dow is 19 points lower. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, welcome back. As the trade war with China escalates, obviously it has a great impact on agriculture, but even beyond agriculture, certainly a lot of different areas that will affect uh, really 
all U.S. consumers in different ways. I want to take a look at the big picture with Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Here we are uh, the day we hoped uh, something uh, would happen to avoid all these tariffs and the retaliation from kicking in, but it looks like uh, it's, uh, it's going to happen, and now we have to deal with uh, a very tough situation. We just heard from the National Pork Producers Council, the U.S. pork industry looking at the possibility of being shut out of that Chinese market. Uh, give us a, a big-picture look at what all this means, how it impacts uh, U.S. citizens. So I think we're probably just at the beginning of understanding what the impact's going to be. And every industry, and in some of those industries, every company within them are going to probably be affected a little bit differently. So today's impact um, on Chinese import into the U.S. is probably going to have only minor impact in terms of what we're going to see on consumer pricing day to day. For the U.S. ag industry that's exporting to China, you will be seeing a more direct impact because y'all are at the forefront of the list that the Chinese have imposed. But seeing something 24 hours after tariffs are imposed versus two or three months down, um, it's all really going to depend on whether the two governments sit down and start trying to resolve these issues or if they decide to lock in and start escalating even more tariffs. Any indication that a breakthrough is anywhere near? No, unfortunately not. I spent most of the past week, um, even with the holiday, trying to get any sign of whether people who might be in a position to negotiate a solution to this were um, on travel or the other telltale signs that they might be trying to work something out. And unfortunately, people were exactly where they were predicted to be at their desks. We hear so much about... uh what needs to be addressed, intellectual property, and so many other things that need to be addressed uh, in the trade relationship between the U.S. and China. Can you give us an idea of what is that situation that's at the root of all of this? Certainly. So the issues at the root of these tariffs, because we certainly have a variety of issues that we deal with with China, have to do with the protection of intellectual property and technology transfer. So in a nutshell, it's both the fact that China's laws and regulations aren't as strong and robust as other countries around the world, that when you bring um, your movies or your music or even the pa- a patented machine that you have or, or uh, GMO, for that matter, into the market, there aren't as strong protections to ensure that, number one, your product won't be stolen, and number two, if it is stolen, that you would have proper recourse. Technology transfer has to do with whether China, either directly or indirectly, forces companies to transfer their know-how and technology from the United States to China. There aren't any explicit regulations that require it, but there's certainly a variety of steps that companies feel like if they don't transfer their technology um, and and have that ownership um, or licensing in China, that they're not going to be able to access the market. Those cause all kinds of problems for companies, and they are issues that really do need to be addressed. So we hear that China has taken advantage of this, these situations and they've benefited at our expense. Is that, is that true? You know, I think that there is definitely a case that U.S. companies are, don't have as strong a market share as they should and they um, don't have the level of protections that they deserve. China has been doing better on these issues in recent years. So U.S. companies aren't blocked out of the market because of these issues, but they certainly are not playing on a level playing field there. 
And of course, the question is, is this the right way to address those issues? Uh, in your opinion, were there other options, other ways to try to get changes made without going to this drastic uh, of, of a course? Absolutely. Um, there's plenty of other things that could have been done. Number one would have been for either side to reach out to the other and say, we don't want to impose tariffs. We'd like to figure out what's necessary to avoid having that happen. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. So um, our, our hope now is that the two governments feel like um, rather than imposing an additional $16 billion of tariffs that both sides are expected to move on probably in early September, that they do that. But other alternatives, we could reach out and coordinate efforts with our colleagues from other countries, Japan and Europe, Canada, Mexico. Their companies have the exact same problems. And having a united front of seeking solutions to these issues with China would be a very effective strategy if the U.S. were to pursue it. We're talking with Aaron Ennis, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. Aaron, I've heard people say China has to have us. They need us more than we need them. We've heard that from the administration as well. Uh, (laughs) How do you assess that as far as the greater need and who, uh, who needs who even more here? I think that that is not the right way to be looking at this situation. China is definitely a significant source of imports to the U.S. I think we imported about $505 billion worth of goods from China in 2017. But if you look at all of the ways that American companies do business with China, what we export from the U.S., what companies that have operations in China make and sell there, what services companies um, make and sell there, China's about a $550 billion market for U.S. companies. That's bigger than Mexico. So there are significant risks for companies in a variety of sectors on this, and we really shouldn't be trying to figure out who would hurt worse in this situation. We should be trying to figure out how to end the pain. You know, when I hear people say, well, they have to buy from us, I'm, I'm also thinking we're pretty used to buying from them. You know, if, if that were to end what would that mean for U.S. consumers? What changes would we see? So we probably won't see anything immediately because changing global supply chains are um, pretty expensive and and pretty significant undertaking for most companies. So probably the first thing you're going to see is companies waiting a little while before they make any changes to pricing. They're probably going to be exploring whether if if it's inputs that they need to make a product or a whole product they're importing, whether there's an alternative supply chain that can get it. Um, I think consumers are going to probably start seeing some Uh, competitively priced uh, imported products from other companies and countries as those countries recognize that the cost of Chinese products are going up in the U.S. market. So consumers are going to see it. The prices are going to go up in a variety of targeted sectors, and there's going to be impact on companies that are selling to China and and agriculture as well And that. But we probably are going to have a little bit of a delayed effect before the immediate impact happens for most Americans. That's interesting because we talk a lot about our competitors moving into a market like China uh, to take advantage of uh, you know our products being more expensive now there. But I hadn't guess I hadn't thought that much about it here in the U.S. What other countries trying to come in and take advantage of the situation and sell their products here in the U.S. 
Certainly. I mean, we've got a lot of American companies that input uh, that that use inputs from China. So the cost of those inputs are going to go up. And for, for companies that import product either from someplace else or that um, have alternative supply chains they can put in place immediately, they're about to become more competitive. Aaron, are talks going on that we don't hear about? I mean, back channels, uh, things, conversations happening to try to address this and solve it? Unfortunately, it does not appear that any talks are going on yet. It seems like both governments um, had decided they wanted to see if the other one was going to actually act today. And uh, unfortunately for all of us, both did. So we are hoping that in the coming weeks that the two governments start seeing what the downside is of these tariffs and have an incentive to actually sit down and start talking. But as of July 6th, at 20 to the hour, unfortunately not. And don't you get to a certain point where neither side wants to look like they're backing down, neither side wants to look like they're giving in, and that just makes it harder to find a resolution? Yeah, I, I'm, we may be in a bit of that situation here, but what I have uh, said to people who work in both governments is this is not a time to be worried about pride or anything else. This is the time to be putting the national interests of the United States and, in China's case, of their own consumers and companies advanced in this and just reach out and say, tell me what it is that would make this, uh, that we could do to change this situation. How do you see this playing out? Well, unfortunately for the moment, my anticipation is that we are going to see action continue towards the imposition of an additional $16 billion in tariffs. Um, there will be hearings on that in a couple of weeks, and so the U.S. is going to keep moving forward, and so I think we should anticipate that China will continue its rhetoric of saying it's, ready, it's going to be moving forward. Um, what I do hope is that the United States does not start an additional track of a, an additional $200 billion worth of goods that would be subject to tariffs. As the president said last night, and um, he issued a memorandum on a couple of weeks ago, that kind of an escalation, if it were to come to pass, would still cover only about half of Chinese imports to the U.S., but for China to respond in equal measure, it would exceed the value of all U.S. exports to China for 2017. So at that point, we start getting into a situation where anyone who exports any product from the United States to China is facing a tariff, and the Chinese are going to probably come up with more creative ways to also make up the difference, since we only exported 147, and if we add another 200 to what the U.S. is doing, China has to come up with a value of 250 to respond in kind frightening thought it could get worse before it gets better Aaron thank you for your perspective and we'll stay in touch that would be great Mike thank you Aaron Ennis senior vice president for the U.S. China Business Council a lot at stake here in this uh, ongoing trade war with China well coming up next we'll get some perspective from Colin Woodall senior vice president government affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and also get his thoughts on the resignation of EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt. That's next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Do you need a car? 
been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is mobile help. America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with mobile help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile help did save my life. No question about that. Call mobile help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I'd wake up with a sore neck or maybe a headache, or I'd feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. Well, when I invented my pillow, I wanted it so you could adjust the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep REM sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not how much time you spend in bed. It's how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all my own manufacturing in my home state of Minnesota with a 10-year warranty, and you can wash and dry my pillow. And here's my best offer ever. Get four my pillows for the price of one. That's right, get four my pillows. Two premium pillows and two travel pillows for the price of one. Order my pillow at 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Get four my pillows for the price of one. Call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Go to mypillow.com and at checkout use promo code FARM11. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons Now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. 
Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub, they require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with models starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, we continue to get reaction to the escalating trade war with China. Joining us now, Colin Woodall, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, thanks for joining us. Uh, your thoughts on where we're at with the trade with China and potential impact on the U.S. beef industry? Well, Mike, we are unhappy with the situation. Uh, it's probably the only way we can put it. We're not surprised, though. We knew this was coming. We have lobbied the administration for months now about the importance of trade to us and how we need to continue to try to find ways to grow the Chinese market since we've only been back in there for a little over a year now. But the president has made it clear that he wants to address a lot of the non-tariff trade barrier issues that are out there. And on one hand, we have to thank him for that because he truly is one of the first administrations in quite some time that has taken the initiative to go and, and fight these fights. The non-tariff trade barriers are a huge hindrance to us. You know, we're dealing with that in China as we speak with the ban on the use of beta agonists and also the ban on the use of implanted hormones. So on one side, there is the need for the action that the president has taken. All we would like is a little bit more certainty on what his plan is moving forward. Uh, he has said time and time again that this is going to be some short-term pain for long-term gain. If that is truly the case, it's something that we can look at and probably stomach. But if this is going to be long-term in nature, it will have an impact on us. Uh, when you're looking at what we did in 2017, it was about $30 million, not a whole lot, but it was our first six months back in that market. We could have seen close to $70 million here in 2018, but we're not so sure that we're going to have that opportunity with this increase in tariffs. Of course, now it's adding a 25% tariff in addition to the 12 we already have, so a total of 37%, and in effect, that's going to stop our exports into China. And part of it is timing. It comes at the same time we're having uh, our trade issues with uh, Canada and Mexico. That's right. Of course, for us, on July the 1st, which was Canada Day, they actually implemented a 10% tariff against uh, some U.S. beef products going into Canada. A lot of that was prepared beef uh, products such as beef jerky, for example. But every product counts for us, especially when you look at the overall picture of meat supply. We've had increasing meat supplies. 
uh, every bit that stays here is going to have an impact on our bottom line. And, of course, we have to make sure that we're talking about this in the perspective of all meats. And we have seen the tariffs that have uh, been placed upon our friends in the pork industry. That's going to have an impact on us, too. So all these things are ones that we're watching. And we've taken the position now that we have to move from advocating for trade to the White House to now quantifying the losses to then take back to the White House. Yeah, because we keep hearing from Secretary Purdue that the president and this administration will take care of farmers through this. So, yeah, you start quantifying. Here, Here's the bill. I mean, here's the growing uh, amount that, that we need to help with, right? Yeah, it is concerning that we continue to hear that there's going to be some sort of, of, of payment or some sort of offset for this to farmers and ranchers. We don't see how, not given the federal budgets that exist, there's any way to truly be able to make up these losses for every farmer and rancher in this country. That That's just not possible. Uh, again, if it is short-term, I think all of us in agriculture have some sort of non-tariff trade barrier we like to have addressed. If that's the case, then, you know, we can suck it up. But, again, not knowing what the, the long-term picture is has all of us nervous, including us, at NCBA, and that's why uh, we we are not thrilled with the prospect of, of the trade war that has now kicked off. But at the same time, uh, we're going to have to continue to uh, show the president that trade's important, and as I said, start showing him now what that bottom line impact is, and, and letting him know that it's not as simple as just writing a check to every farmer and rancher in this country to make up the difference. Yeah, I have this image in my mind of each ag group going to the White House with a tab. With the, here's our bill. Here's here's what it's cost us. And I, you're right. I just don't see how they uh, how they would ever come up with the resources uh, to uh, to pave that back. So uh, obviously a, a serious situation that continues. We just talked about it in the last segment with the U.S.-China Business Council. could get worse before it gets better. We're talking with Colin Woodall, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Colin, many, uh, certainly in the renewable fuels industry, happy with the resignation of Scott Pruitt as EPA Administrator. But from an NCBA standpoint, what are your feelings about Scott Pruitt? We were big fans of Scott Pruitt, and that's based upon the action he took to roll back regulations that were hitting the beef industry. And leading that list was his action to roll back waters of the United States and to try to put a new plan in place that would define the jurisdiction of EPA and the Corps of Engineers when it comes to water regulation in a way that actually protects private property rights. So from that perspective, we hate to see him go. Uh, but politics is a, 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 a funny thing here in Washington, D.C., and uh, we now know that we're going to have to look at, at who may be next. Uh, the number two who's going to be the acting right now, Mr. Wheeler, we do believe will follow along those lines of rolling back regulations, especially trying to finish the effort on WOTUS. So I don't expect any significant change in our overall relationship with EPA, probably more of the same when it comes to those rules impacting the beef industry. And, and for us, that's, that's a good thing, because we have to keep in mind this wasn't just Administrator Pruitt and his focus. This was a focus of the president himself in trying to roll back a lot of these rules. So uh, we, we, we do believe that um, uh, we, we will see more of his legacy continue on uh, with, uh, with Mr. Wheeler and then whoever is ultimately nominated to take that position in a uh, full-time basis. Are you disappointed that Pruitt's out? Yeah, we are disappointed, uh, absolutely. Uh, but again, uh, things like this happen in politics all the time. And we have to be flexible, and we have to be prepared to work with whoever comes in next. And we'll see uh, 
how long that may take. These things do seem to take a long, long time. So in the meantime, it will be Andrew Wheeler. All right. Thank you, Colin, very much. Uh, these are uh, challenging times, to say the least. We'll, we'll stay in touch with you on these. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Colin Woodall, Senior Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Wow, a lot going on. Always want to get your perspective as well. You can email me, Mike Adams at AmericanAgNetwork.com or on Twitter at Mike Adams Ag. Want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on uh, the trade war, the uh, EPA situation, the farm bill, whatever it may be? Want to hear from you. Well, that wraps it up. It's a busy week indeed, and uh, more on these stories coming up next week. We'll follow this U.S. China situation and what's going on course with the farm bill and at epa with the rfs and more hope you'll stay with us right here on aoa adams on agriculture have a great weekend everyone